Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're probably already aware of Cast's new true crime investigative podcast, Lost in Panama. But if you haven't caught up, new evidence and testimony has recently been uncovered in the most recent episodes. It is shining new light on this case. The first four episodes of the series set up the foundation of what is known about this case, including a deep dive into the suspicious tour guide, the mysterious photos, and the remains. But episode five launches a whole new direction of investigation into this case. A woman connected to the confirmed homicide of her own son tells us that she knows the same men responsible for her son's death are also responsible for Chris and Lasanne's deaths. Not only that, but she presents to our team a full, detailed story of exactly what happened, how the women were abducted and killed. And somehow it all adds up. All the pieces start to fit together or at least start to make more sense. As time begins to run out on the investigation, but with this major breakthrough in hand, the team in Panama must attempt to assemble a compelling enough theory of the case in order to push the Panamanian government to admit that there's more going on here than meets the eye. We need them to reopen this case so that a much closer look can be taken at all the new evidence coming to light and the families affected can finally find some closure all these years later. Will they do it? Listen to all episodes of Lost in Panama, available now wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a fan of The Opportunist, would you please take a moment and go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show? It helps us a lot. You can also reach out to us at any time over email at theopportunist at castmedia.com. This podcast contains disturbing content. Listener discretion advised. Hey there, everyone. It's me, Tara, the founder and director of Always Hope Pregnancy Center, and we are live with you today from our brand new office in downtown. Always Hope Pregnancy Um, Center operated from 2014 to 2018, connecting birth parents who wanted to place their children for adoption with prospective adoptive parents. Um, It's been a minute since we've given you an update, and we wanted to bring you another birth mom story today. today This video is from 2016. The woman speaking in the video is Tara Lee, the founder of Always Hope. She's in her mid-30s with long, dark hair and glasses. This YouTube video is one of several that she made promoting Always Hope. Tara introduces a young woman named Alex. I was five months pregnant. I had no money saved up. I was still living with my parents. I found Always Hope online. And I contacted them. Alex describes her experience as a birth parent, meeting Tara, looking through adoption books, picking the adoptive family. She talks about this instant connection she felt with her adoptive family, like they had known each other for years. Still to this day, I talk to them every day. I hear the cries and the goos and the gauze on the phone every day. And it's just been what I found was the best thing to do. And I'm happy. For something as complex as adoption, Alex's story is idyllic, and Tara Lee made that happen. 
Tara promoted herself and Always Hope as a way to turn a difficult situation, an unwanted pregnancy, into a beautiful opportunity for both the birth parents and the adoptive parents. Adoption didn't mean giving up a baby. It meant merging families. She made people feel like they were part of something special. They were enamored with her. Even the prospective adoptive parents, they were so enamored with her. This is Maria Panchenko, a birth mother attorney. They believed in her to a degree of sainthood. Like it was like she was put on this pedestal that she was saving their families and she was saving these women and she was doing all these families. families I've heard people say this thing about adoption. Maybe you've heard it too. It goes something like this. Instead of having children, maybe I'll adopt. I mean, there are so many kids out there that need a loving home. In the U.S., there are approximately 400,000 kids currently in foster care. And so it is actually true that there are a lot of kids who need homes. But it's not necessarily true about babies. In the United States, babies are a commodity. That's the truth. This is Talia Goding, an adoption and family law attorney in Michigan. I had a very frank conversation with her about adoption and money. Babies are a commodity. And if you can get a drug-free baby, that's just priceless in in America. And regardless of, of how people want to view themselves, if they're prospective adoptive parents or want to view adoption, the truth is, I'll be blunt, a Caucasian drug-free white baby is a very expensive product in the adoption market. I mean, that's the truth. It's a pretty shocking way to talk about human beings. Ask any adoptive parent and they'll tell you, adoption is not about the money. It's about becoming a parent. But it does cost money. American Adoptions, the largest domestic adoption agency in the U.S., estimates that adopting a baby costs between $50,000 and $60,000. Tara Lee ran Always Hope Pregnancy Center in Macomb County, Michigan, just outside Detroit. She claimed Always Hope was a crisis pregnancy center. But she operated like an adoption agency because she matched birth parents with prospective adoptive parents. But it turns out she wasn't actually licensed as an adoption agency. And that was just the beginning. Tara had provided Tanya and I a diploma that demonstrated she had a master's degree in social work. And the master's degree was a fraud. It was something she created and she framed and it looked it was it was amazingly real looking. It was like this thick. Yeah, it looked like my law degree. So she was such a con artist that she even created fake diplomas. Tanya Carrado, Talia Godding, and Maria Penchenko are all attorneys that worked with Tara Lee. I spoke with all three of them at the same time. They want this story to be told but it's also a hard one for them to tell because Tara had them fooled. And once they realized what was really going on, it was a horrifying revelation. They were our clients and we just met them. The baby was just getting ready to be born. And Tara called up hysterical and said that the birth mother had been shot in Detroit and that the baby had lived for like 15 minutes or something and then died. And then she asked our clients if they would contribute to the funeral expenses of the birth mother. And in reality, her baby didn't die. 
In late 2018, Tanya, Talia, and Maria would receive an alarming call from an adoptive parent, which would lead them to start investigating Tara Lee and eventually to calling the FBI. Tanya says the entire experience was a nightmare like she had never known before. I know I didn't get, you know, ripped off out of tens of thousands of dollars. And no, I wasn't expecting to adopt a baby and have my personal life destroyed. But, you know, we were victimized as well. You know, and it's hard to say that and have people feel sorry for us. And that's not why I'm saying it. I don't I don't really want anybody to feel sorry for us, but I want them to understand that all of us were victimized. Tara's adoption fraud is a messy tangle of truths and lies. She did facilitate some successful adoptions. And yet, most of the people who tried to adopt through Always Hope paid her thousands of dollars. And in the end, they didn't end up with a child. It turns out that was not accidental. So who was Tara Lee? And how did she convince birth parents and adoptive parents, and even lawyers, that she was running a legitimate operation. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist, a podcast about regular people who turn sinister simply by embracing opportunity. This is episode one of two on Tara Lee. I'm Hannah Smith. Amber has always wanted to be a parent, but she's unable to have biological children. She loves the idea that adoption could allow her to become a mother, while also allowing her to support a woman in crisis. She was drawn to Always Hope Pregnancy Center because of how the founder, Tara Lee, spoke about the birth parents that she worked with. She's like, I work with every single one of these women, and I know every single one of them. I chose her partly because she was talking about how the mission of her organization is not only to just build and blend these families, but also to help empower these women. When Amber first started looking into adoption, she had trouble finding an agency that would work with her. That was... um, an ordeal in itself because I'm a single woman. When you are not the traditional family, you have to jump through more hoops and you also have to prove more that you can do this and that you can do it on your own. Private adoption agencies in the U.S. have the legal right to refuse to work with anyone based on relationship status, sexual orientation, or religious belief. So Amber decided to pursue international adoption But then in 2017, she heard about Always Hope Pregnancy Center. She talked to Tara. And Tara said she didn't care that Amber wanted to be a single mom. All she cared about is that Amber would be a good parent. So I made the decision to switch from international adopting to working with Tara. Courtney and Curtis Edmond made the decision to adopt in 2013. I had very difficult pregnancies and C-sections. My husband and I are high school sweethearts. And we always knew that we wanted a lot of kids. And we thought four was going to be enough. But once that fourth one came, we were like, um, we kind of feel like someone's missing. Um, But we knew that me getting pregnant would be dangerous. So we started looking into adoption. But Colorado's adoption laws are pretty strict. And for four years, they saw very little progress on the adoption. Especially for someone who already has four biological children. We knew that would be a struggle, but we didn't know that it would be almost impossible here. 
Then in 2017, Courtney found Always Hope Pregnancy Center through Facebook, and she called the founder, Tara Lee. And we spoke on the phone for probably a good hour, and she seemed very friendly, very personable. A lot of these agencies are very, by the book, professional, like, For me, I like to relate to people. I like to be able to talk to people about how I'm feeling. And like, she said she was an adoptive mom. As an adoptive mom herself, Tara understood the hurdles to adoption, the stress of waiting years and years for a child. Tara said she could make things happen faster. So after speaking with her, she was telling us that she would match families very quickly. She had a lot of success. Amber and Courtney, they're two people with very different stories, very different lives, but they both wanted the same thing, a baby. In 2017, they both signed on with Always Hope Pregnancy Center. They both paid Tara Lee the $750 sign-on fee and then waited for the chance to be matched with a birth parent. And they did not have to wait very long. Here's Courtney. It was only one week later that she called me and she's like, hey, I have a birth mom I want you to talk to. And we spoke on the phone with the birth mom and we were matched. For Courtney, it felt like a door that had been jammed shut for years was suddenly swung wide open. Within weeks of signing on with Tara, Amber also got some good news. An email with a profile of a birth mother that seemed like the perfect match for her. I read it and there was like this feeling in my heart that I was like, oh my God, this is, this is my birth mom. I was like on the phone reading it to my mom and I'm telling her about it. And it's this 20 something year old girl who is going to school for medicine, which is what I am in school for and what I was doing at the time and, and wants to be a pharmacy tech and, you know, got pregnant and, you know, lives with her parents. Amber put her name in for the match and waited to hear if the birth mother would choose her. She knew that some other people had also expressed interest. And then, more good news. And she's like, she chose you. And I just start bawling, 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 because, like, I'm going to be a mom. She chose me. I'm going to be a mom. So both Amber and Courtney were matched with birth parents. They couldn't believe how fast it had happened. It felt too good to be true. And they would soon realize that it was. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. A match is made when a birth parent chooses a prospective adoptive parent. In private adoption, this usually means the birth parent is pregnant. So a plan is set up through the agency to support the birth parent throughout the pregnancy and for a brief period of time after giving birth. It is illegal to give a birth parent money directly for their child because that would constitute buying a baby. Instead, adoptive parents pay a match fee to the adoption agency that includes a fee for the agency for their services along with birth parent expenses. The birth parent expenses should be calculated by the agency before the match is ever made and presented to the prospective adoptive parents. These expenses can vary based on the specific needs of the birth parent and the length remaining in the pregnancy. The laws in Michigan around birth parent expenses are very strict. This is attorney Talia Godin again. In the state of Michigan, Prospective adoptive parents are allowed to pay certain expenses for birth mothers, birth mothers only. They can pay living expenses, travel expenses, medical expenses, and legal expenses. All of the expenses have to be carefully accounted for with receipts, and the agency has to pay for the expenses directly. Again, they can never hand money to a birth parent. The intention behind this is that no birth parent is ever bribed into placing their child for adoption, but instead supported throughout the adoption process. Many agencies also offer birth parents help with things like job hunting or obtaining medical insurance. Agencies should be supporting birth parents, but they also have to try to prevent adoption disruptions or fails. They want to avoid a situation in which a birth parent changes their mind about adoption at the last minute. This does happen sometimes. And birth parents have every right to change their minds up until the final adoption paperwork is signed, which usually happens a few months after giving birth. So agencies do their best to fail safe against this by requiring birth parents to go through extensive counseling before they ever make the decision to choose adoption. Courtney and Amber were both matched through Always Hope Pregnancy Center. Tara Lee's policy required that adoptive parents pay the match fee within 24 hours of being matched. Tara's match fee included her agency fee, which was $10,000, plus some or all of the birth parent expenses. I don't know how much Amber paid in birth parent expenses. She didn't want to say. But she did say that her initial check didn't last as long as it was supposed to. Tara called her asking for more money. And she says to me, she blew through all of her money that she got originally, like with the first check. Would you be willing to give more money because there's still a long ways to the the due date and she's still going to have a lot of expenses? And I was like... How did she blow through that much money? Like, it's only been a couple of weeks. Like, there's no way that she blew through that much money. Courtney Edmund had the very same experience. So we were matched in July of 2017. I want to say it was the 21st. 
um, with a birth mom who wasn't due until November. So we started out with, I think it was 3,000 match fee. And that was supposed to get us through at least six weeks, but it was maybe two weeks later, I would get calls from Tara. I mean, and, and the calls from Tara were coming almost every day. Hey, she needs money for Ubers. Hey, she needs money for groceries. Both Courtney and Amber thought this was weird, but they also wanted so badly for the adoptions to work. So they paid the additional money and kept moving forward. Amber's adoption was closed, meaning she never spoke with her matched birth mother, Stacy. They lived in different states, Amber in Arizona, Stacy in Michigan with her parents, and they communicated through Tara. Amber was excited that she had matched so soon, but then Tara called her with some bad news. She said Stacy hadn't told her parents that she was going to place her child for adoption, and when they found out, they were not happy about it. So then she tells me, that she finally made her tell her parents and the parents just lost it and they're crying and how can you give away our grandbaby? All of these things. I'm getting messages from Tara telling me that she's getting like phone calls and text messages from the parents saying, you know, please talk to the adoptive parent. Don't let her take our baby. Amber asked Tara if Stacy still wanted to move forward with the adoption, and Tara said yes, she did. And Amber knew that a lot could go wrong with all of these issues arising, but she wanted to be a mom, and she felt like this was her chance. And she says she already felt a connection with this baby. She had set up a nursery in her house. This is going to sound weird, but, like, I would sing to the baby. You know, I just, like... I would try to, like, send send love to this baby that's growing in an environment that doesn't want it. And, and in the morning, I'd wake up and I would say, you know, good morning, baby. I love you. I can't wait to meet you. But as Stacy's due date neared, the calls from Tara became bleak. A few months in, Tara advised Amber to back out of the adoption. And she said, of all of the adoptions that I've had, like, there's only been two that uh, that have been bad and messy. And this is getting bad and messy. And I think it's time that we pull out of this. And I was like, well, what does she think? Like, does she still want to put her baby for adoption? Well, yeah, she still wants to. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, if she still wants to, then, like, why why would I pull out? She's still an adult, you know? She can make this decision. If Stacy still wanted to place her child, well, then Amber was going to keep moving forward with the plan. But it was really stressful. Amber thought a lot about Stacy, this young woman who she had never met, but who was potentially carrying a child that Amber would raise. Stacy was going to school, dealing with an unwanted pregnancy, and living with her parents who didn't support her decision to place her child for adoption. In some sleepless nights, Amber's mind wandered to dark places. Is she going to try to do something that might hurt herself or the baby? Because I honestly was worried about her and her mental health. And I was worried about the baby. And I was afraid that she might try to do something to hurt her or hurt her baby. 
Stacy's due date arrived in September of 2017, and Amber flew from Arizona to Michigan for the birth. She couldn't be in the room, but she wanted to be nearby so that if Stacy did follow through with the adoption, Amber would be there to meet her child. And my mom was coming with me, and, like, we packed so much stuff. Like, I kept asking my mom, do you think that Michigan doesn't have stores where we can pick up snacks there? Or, and she's like, well, you never know. I just want to be ready. And, you know, and I told Tara this whole time, I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. You know, we, we're bringing stuff. Um, I'm still go. If she still go, you know, just keep me posted. She got to her hotel and waited for an update from Tara. She waited and waited. The due date came. There was no update. The due date passed. Amber became desperate to know any information. Had Stacy given birth? Was the baby okay? Did she decide to keep the baby? Tara told her that Stacy had just gone silent, disappeared, and that Tara couldn't find any information on her. Amber's worst fears started running through her head. Is she okay? Is the baby okay? I was having nightmares that she had thrown the baby away. Um, and I was searching dumpsters in Detroit, and I told her, like, that there's a part of me that wants to, like, go to Detroit and start looking at dumpsters. And, and you know, and she's like, you know, no, Amber, like, I don't think that's... That's anything that you have to worry about. Tara told Amber that Stacy must have just decided to keep the baby and then removed Tara's name from her contacts at the hospital. Or maybe she went to a different hospital. Either way, she was gone. And so was Amber's hope of becoming a mother to that child. We had no information. We knew nothing. And the day came where we had to fly back. And I get on the plane and... I just start crying. I just, and I can't stop crying. Because I anticipated that the time that I was going to come back on the plane, that I was going to have that baby in my arms. Amber was devastated. But Tara was there to comfort her. Then, very quickly, Tara urged Amber to just match with another birth mom right away. And Amber said it was too soon for her. But even if it wasn't too soon... She couldn't actually afford to match again. She needed time to save up more money. It was Tara's policy that any unused birth parent expenses would roll over to the next adoption. But Tara claimed she had spent all the money that Amber gave her for Stacy's living expenses. It is likely that Amber paid thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to Tara for this failed adoption. Money that she would never get back. Around that same time, Courtney and Curtis Edmond flew to Michigan for their birth mother's due date. But the last few months had been rocky. Besides the constant requests for more money from Tara, Courtney had started to suspect that the birth mother was not going to go through with the adoption. She had seen some things on Facebook that made her think that the birth mother planned to raise her child. She was buying baby clothes and car seats and making a birth announcement. She brought all this up to Tara. But Tara blew off her concerns and convinced Courtney to stick with the plan. Anytime you would question Tara, she would get real angry. So me not knowing any better, she would be like, hey, but Courtney, this is part of the process. You got to do it. Like, this is, this is what you agreed to. 
And so in the fall of 2017, the baby arrived. Courtney and Curtis went to the hospital and they got to hold the baby. Took pictures, did FaceTimes with my other kids, um, named him. I mean, all the things. And we got a call from Tara later that night that she doesn't want a place anymore. And I kind of lost it. I uh, had a major breakdown in the parking lot of the hotel. I mean, mainly at Tara because I, uh, I felt like I told you this wasn't going to work out. I told you I wanted to back out. I told you not to let us get this far. And here we are. We've already met the baby. We've held him, named him, and, and now you're taking him away from us. By this time, Courtney was just exhausted, and she wanted to go back to Colorado and recover. But that didn't happen, because Tara urged her to stay, implying that the adoption might still go through. She's like, well, well, don't, don't make any decisions yet to go home. I think she may just need a couple days to think about it. So this was a Friday, and she kept going all weekend. She's like, well, I think she might place with you. Or wait, maybe she won't. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. And then Monday we got a call and she's like, well, I think she's going to keep the baby, but we're not hundred percent sure. And I'm like, fine, we're going home. Like we've already wasted an entire weekend here. And she's like, well, you know what, Courtney? She's like, I'm afraid that if you leave, then you definitely won't get this baby. And I'm like, well, I got to get home to my other kids. So anyway, she's like, why don't you stay with me? Curtis flew home and Courtney stayed with Tara for 10 days. I honestly, looking back now, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? But at the time, she was holding this baby over my head. And she's like, I really think that if you leave, you won't get this baby. Over the course of those 10 days, the birth mother changed her mind multiple times, but ultimately decided to keep her baby. And I just want to be clear that Courtney was not upset with the birth mother for that. But she was upset with Tara for stringing her along for months, putting her on this emotional roller coaster. And considering that, it's pretty surprising what happened next. I'm going to use the phrase Tara trance because this is what the families and I use. She sucks you into this vortex and she makes you believe what she wants you to believe. And she tells you what you want to hear and... In that time that I stayed with her, I was sucked in. I mean, I was sucked in hard. And I thought, oh, wow, we're going to be best friends. In those 10 days at Tara's house, Courtney went from sort of disliking Tara to absolutely adoring her. She believed that Tara was this loving, kind, selfless person who changed people's lives with the power of adoption. I got to know her kids. I met her husband. So after that visit, Tara and I talked all the time, every day, all the time. She would tell me about her birth mother troubles and her family troubles. Tara Lee was born Tara Guitar in Michigan in 1981. She's the oldest of six children. She met Jeremy Lee in high school. Then they got married and had three biological children. From 2007 to 2011, Tara was raising her kids and working as a trainer at California Pizza Kitchen. In 2013, she got her Bachelor's of Science degree in Human Services and Criminal Justice from the University of Phoenix. She then went on to work as a legal secretary and then as an intake coordinator at a drug rehab center. And then in 2012, she adopted two children. 
I can't help but wonder if that was the inspiration for her to start Always Hope Pregnancy Center in 2014. I've heard that Tara is very charismatic and easy to like. She's got a lot of energy, and she puts that energy into her kids, into traveling, and into her adoption work. She started a blog in 2017, and she describes herself on the blog as a mother, a sister, and a wife. She says, I swear too much, love too hard, and am a work in progress. She often writes about juggling all of her adoption work while raising five kids and how there just isn't enough time in the day to get everything done. This Tara, the online Tara, she seems like a good-hearted yet openly imperfect mom who spreads herself too thin but only because she cares so deeply. She was always so busy. That was Tara's excuse. I'm always so busy. I'm always so busy. I have other things to do. I don't have time for this. There was no calm in that house ever. Every time I would leave that house, I would feel so drained and exhausted because the chaos was nuts. After Courtney's 10-day stay with Tara, she flew back home to Colorado, but they stayed in touch. And through her relationship with Tara... Courtney started to realize just how many adoptions were failing through Always Hope. She always told me my adoptions don't fail. My adoptions don't fail. I have a 99% success rate. And here I am like, wait a minute, you said adoptions don't fail. And I've only known you for a few months. And we're talking like 10 plus failed adoptions. I mean, because she would have me talk to the families. Courtney, can you call this family because they're upset because they just had a failed adoption. I think you can relate to them. And I would because I thought that that was me helping Tara. At first, Courtney was just making calls for Tara, doing a favor here and there. But that grew into more and more work. She would call me and say, I'm busy. I need your help. I don't, I can't trust anybody else. So she would ask me to come out to Michigan to help her take birth mom shopping or to help her with her kids at home. I felt like it was, I was going to be part of something big. Like this woman is so popular and so many people love her and she's helping so many families. But really all we ended up doing when I'd go out there is driving around to be on the phone all the time, talking to birth mothers. Courtney says when she went to Michigan to help Tara, she mostly just ended up witnessing Tara's life, which included many trips to the mall. Tara was a big spender. Her um, therapy was retail. We would go to the high-end malls and I'd watch her blow thousands and thousands of dollars in less than an hour. And she would make it a point to tell me, you know that this money is not coming from adoption, right? This is all my husband's money. And I, I, did, I believed her. I mean, why would she lie to me, right? So, Did it seem like she had money when you stayed with her? Like, Did it seem so, like she had a lot of money? Uh, yeah, I mean, it did. She didn't have a giant house, but the house she had was lavish. I mean, in the time that I knew her, she um, tore apart her kitchen on a whim and put in a $40,000 kitchen. And then she got a brand new Tahoe and her purse collection was all name brand. Louis Vuitton, Balenciaga. I mean, everything. She had a lot of jewelry and was always wearing it. She always had a ton of jewelry on. And I did see her jewelry box and it was probably a four foot tall jewelry box, you know, and did you know what her husband did for a living? She said that he owned his own HVAC company, heating and air conditioning company. 
I don't know what how they make. I don't know what, what they make. I just assumed, you know. We reached out to Jeremy Lee, but he never got back to us. No one in Tara's family agreed to speak with us. And we weren't able to verify if Jeremy owned his own HVAC company in Michigan. But we do know that in 2013, he started working at an HVAC company called Capital Supply and Services as an HVAC installer. And according to a database of HVAC salaries, an HVAC tech in Michigan in 2021 makes about $78,000 a year on the high end and around $55,000 at the entry level. Clearly, that's not enough money to be installing $40,000 kitchens or buying Louis Vuitton bags. In December of 2017, Courtney got matched with another birth mom, Shakira, through Always Hope. Courtney and Shakira got along great, and so they started talking and texting regularly. I don't think Tara knew that we talked as much as we did. We talked a lot. And it was actually through Shakira that I found out how Tara was treating the birth mothers. Courtney was about to experience firsthand the truth behind Always Hope. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Tara Lee was quick to tell anyone who would listen that the real reason that she worked in adoption was to support women in crisis. She called the birth mothers her girls, and she was always going on and on about how much she loved her girls. But in 2017, when Courtney Edmond was matched with a birth mother, Shakira, Courtney discovered that Shakira was not being taken care of. Shakira would need something as like um, groceries or 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 an Uber ride somewhere. And so I would call Tara um, and say, hey, Shakira needs this, this, and this. I paid you so much money last week. You should have enough to go ahead and get her these things. But I just wanted to let you know that she needed it. And then Tara would say, no, Courtney, she's lying to you. She has no money left. She used all of her money. I sent her on so many Uber trips. I mean, there's excuses. I bought her groceries. I bought her Uber trips. She's lying to you, Courtney. She has no more money. If she wants the stuff, you have to send more money. But, but Tara wanted you to send the money to Tara. That's how it always works. Yeah, right? to Tara. It all, all the money always went through Tara. We were never allowed to give the money to the birth moms or anything like that. Courtney had already paid Tara several thousand dollars, specifically for Shakira's living expenses. Tara was supposed to pay for Shakira's rent, bills, and food with this money. And Tara did find an apartment for Shakira to live in. But the apartment didn't have kitchen appliances, which Courtney found out about. 
So she found a used stove online that cost $350. She sent the link to Tara along with money for the stove and asked her to buy the stove for Shakira. I gave Tara money for appliances and they never got to Shakira. And Shakira had three kids at the time. She had to keep her food in the snow because she didn't have any way to keep her baby's milk cold. This is the winter in Michigan. The apartment also had no power, no heating, and no furniture. I also paid for Shakira to have some mattresses. Um, I gave Tara money for that. I said, she's pregnant. She shouldn't be sleeping on the cold floor. Her children need something to sleep on. Oh, and Tara would be like, oh, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And Shakira like, hey, I still have nothing. We're sleeping on the floor. And she would send me pictures of the house. And it was, it was an, a dump. It was a dump. Tara attempted to limit the contact between Courtney and Shakira, but Shakira felt more comfortable reaching out to Courtney whenever she needed something. Tara was very mean to her and a lot of the other birth moms. She was very scared of Tara, um, very scared of Tara. So she was always too afraid to actually reach out to Tara, which is why I did a lot of it for her. I wanted to talk with a birth mother that was involved with Tara Lee for this podcast. That ended up being a pretty difficult task. Most of the birth mothers we reached out to didn't want to speak with us. We reached out to Shakira, and she agreed to an interview. But then the day of the interview, she didn't show up, and we haven't been able to get a hold of her since. Then we got in touch with Shavandra. My name is Shavandra Taylor. I was, like, one of the last moms to deal with Tara. She matched me with Melanie and John. Those were my first APs, Melanie and John. And we got to know Equanity. We talked, whatever. But the crazy thing was we could never talk without Tara being involved in, like, the group chat or anything. Did Tara, like, specifically say that to you? Yes. She was like, we can't talk to our APs without her. So it's like every time I wanted to communicate with them, I had to go through Tara for me just to talk to them. So I was like almost like five months pregnant and I went to the hospital coming like having real bad pains and I end up having a miscarriage. I lost the baby. The adoptive parents, Melanie and John, had paid Tara $8,000 to cover Shavandra's living costs throughout her pregnancy and for six weeks after she gave birth. But right after Shavandra lost the baby, she received a notice from her landlord saying that the check Tara had given him for rent had bounced. Then the light, our lights were cut off in the process of them telling us this check has done bounced, our lights get cut off. Because Tara called the light company asking for her money back for a refund. She asked for her money back and the check bounced. So it was like, once I lost my baby... I'm losing everything in the process, too. A couple of years later in 2018, Shavandra got pregnant again. She wasn't in a position to keep the baby. She had gone through a divorce, and she was already taking care of two kids as a single mom. So she made the decision to try adoption again, and she reached back out to Tara. Then she tells me, like, she can't facilitate my adoption in Florida, I would have to move to Michigan. As a side note, Tara opened a second location of Always Hope in Jacksonville, Florida in 2015, which closed shortly after Shavandra's miscarriage in 2016. So were you living in Florida at the time? Yes. She told me I would have to move, move back to Michigan. So I was like, okay, all right, let's, let's see. 
see how this goes again. I pack up my whole life. It's me, my seven-year-old son, which is Makai, and then I had my my daughter with me. She wasn't even one yet, and on top of that, I'm pregnant. Travel expenses are typically covered for birth parents. But instead of a flight to Michigan, Tara told Shavandra to take a bus. We caught the Greyhound from Jacksonville to Michigan. That's 26-hour ride. Because she told me in our budget, it wasn't enough for me to catch a flight with my kids. So I'm like, okay, all right, I get there. We living in a hotel. Two kids, me pregnant, in a hotel with one bed. Tell me how that was supposed to work. Did she tell you something different, like whenever she said, come up to Michigan? Yes, she had her assistant to come pick me up from the bus station, put me in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So we in this hotel, and it's like, we crammed here because you told me when I got here, I'll have a house and this and that. Everything all lined up for me when I got here. But I'm, I'm getting here, and it's like a slap in my face because it's not what you told me. Did Tara ever ask you to sign a contract? Did you ever sign a contract with her? No, I signed no papers with her this time. The first time I did, but this time, none. None. It's like this time around, everything was verbal. Did she offer you counseling uh, before you made the decision um, or as part of the agreement to uh, enter into the adoption plan? Were Were you offered counseling? No. Only counseling that I got was from her. And what did that look like? I can't even tell you. She thought she was telling you words of wisdom, but she really wasn't. It was her manipulating you into doing what she wanted you to do. What was your relationship with Melanie like? Me and Melanie, we clicked just instantly. Like, me and my ex, like, we love Melanie and John. I actually spoke with Melanie, and she said the same thing about Shavandra. We, you know, we... Talked on the phone. It just was this really cool instant connection. When I spoke with Melanie, she was critical of Tara for matching Shavandra when she did. Shavandra was in her second trimester when they matched. Typically, agencies will wait until the third trimester. I think that there isn't enough counseling by that time, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're a first-time mom. You don't know what feelings you're going to have when you go in for your ultrasounds and when you start feeling the baby move and when people start seeing that you are pregnant. You don't, you know, you don't, I think it's just awfully early to make that commitment. Additionally, birth parents' medical history is supposed to be something that's disclosed to the adoptive parents before the match is made. It was not disclosed to me that Shavandra had a medical issue even though Tara knew that, and I am a former OB nurse, maybe I would have thought twice about an early match knowing what her medical issue was and that that oftentimes can contribute to miscarriage. So she withheld that information, Mm. you know, knowingly withheld that information from me. But Tara had a lot to gain by making matches. Within 24 hours of a match being made, the adoptive parents had to pay Tara a significant sum of money her $10,000 agency fee, plus whatever birth parent expenses there were. Additionally, if a birth parent was earlier on in their pregnancy, there would be more opportunities for Tara to call the adoptive parents and request additional funds. There were other ways that Tara got adoptive parents to pay her as well. I mean, she stole money in a whole bunch of different ways. She set up this gala, this Always Hope gala, 
um, that was supposed to go off in 2016. She had collected all these donations, mm-hmm. all these gift cards. My friend Jenna, Eleanor Washington, who had signed with Always Hope for a little while before they got matched somewhere else, um, sent a whole bunch of gift cards for, you know, like raffle baskets and that sort of thing. And then, oh, all of a sudden the gala's canceled because we didn't have enough interest. Well, she never returned any of that stuff. So she said she was going to donate it to her birth mom. So we know that's not true. Her kids got new clothes and she, I'm sure, went to Target and bought herself housewares or whatever. I mean, she, she was very sly and very sneaky and duped not only adoptive families and birth moms, but duped lawyers and she duped adoption consultant firms. Melanie eventually walked away from Always Hope as did Courtney Edmund, but not until she had a second match and a second fail. Neither of them ever got their money back from Tara Lee. And then there is Amber, who we heard from at the beginning of the episode. Remember, Amber had been matched with Stacy, the young woman in college living with her parents, who disappeared when Amber went to Michigan for the birth. In November of 2018, Amber received some disturbing news about Tara. My friend, who was also trying to adopt from her, she sends me a link and she said, have you seen this? And it's about how the FBI raided her home. It was an article about an FBI raid on Tara's house and their suspicion of adoption fraud. Amber immediately reached out to Tara about it. So I sent her a text message with the link and I'm like is this true? And she's like, where did you get that? doesn't matter where I got it. Is it true? And she's like, yes, you know, the FBI did come and they talked to me, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just some adoptive parents that are mad because their adoptions didn't work out. But Amber wasn't satisfied with that answer. She wanted to know more. And eventually, she found the contact information for Tanya Corrado and Talia Godin, the attorneys we heard from at the beginning of the episode. We're talking, and I'm telling them like a quick snippet about what happened. And they said, we have absolutely no record of you. Like, usually when she had um, an, a, a, a matched adoption, she would submit the paperwork to us so that we could start the legal aspect of it. By this time, Tanya and Talia had already tipped off the FBI, and the attorneys were taking on the grueling task of tracking down all of the adoptive parents they could find who either had worked with or were currently working with Tara in order to notify them of the investigation. And we literally said to them, listen, you don't know us, but you're working with Tara, and we know that you have an active adoption with her, and we need to tell you something. We believe she's committing fraud, and she's currently under investigation with the FBI. But Amber didn't receive a call from Tanya and Talia. And Tanya and Talia had never heard of Amber or of a birth mother named Stacy. And they're like, well, you know, we can't really say for sure, but one of the things that we're finding is that there were a lot of fake adoptions. And based off of what you're telling us and the fact that we have no record of you, it's very possible that your birth mom never existed. Amber started combing back through the events of her failed adoption, 
The way that Tara tried to dissuade her from continuing with the adoption now looked different. All those conversations she had with Tara about Stacy's parents wanting to keep the baby and causing problems, had Tara been making it all up? Then Amber thought back to this conversation she had with Tara in the very beginning, before she had ever even heard of Stacy. One evening, she called Tara on the phone. Amber's home study had just been approved, which was like the last hurdle that she had to complete before she could start the process to adopt a child. Amber was giddy with excitement that night. I got approved, and it was on Valentine's Day, and I'm calling Tara, and I'm like, I've been approved, I've been approved, I'm so excited. And then I'm telling her, like, you know, about how, you know, I, I, I can't wait to be able to present to the adoption cases that she has. Then Amber started daydreaming out loud to Tara about her ideal scenario for adoption, about the birth mom that she hoped to find. You know, I kind of see it happening where, like, she's trying to go to school and she gets pregnant and she's just like, oh, I really want to finish school. And so I'm kind of telling her this, like, fantasy of what I would like this to be. A student who didn't want to keep her baby because she wanted to pursue her education. That describes Stacy to a T. And now Amber wondered if Tara had listened to her daydream and then made up Stacy. She never spoke with Stacy on the phone or Stacy's parents. She didn't know their last name. She had never even seen a picture. But she had prepared for this baby. She had flown to Michigan. She had waited anxiously in a hotel room for the news of her child's birth. She had given Tara thousands and thousands of dollars and believed that Tara gave that money to Stacy. She had been plagued with nightmares, wondering what happened to Stacy and the baby when they disappeared. And now she wanted to know if Stacy had ever been real, or if Tara had just made it all up. Fairly soon, Amber would get her answer, directly from Tara. Meanwhile, another couple, who was in the midst of an adoption, would encounter the FBI and then go undercover, all while still trying to adopt a baby. That's next week on The Opportunist. The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with River Donahay and Amanda Elliott. Keisha Eaton and Kate Mays are associate producers. Colin Thompson is our executive producer. Anton Doty is our editor. Matt Sewell is our audio mixer and master. The cover art is by Arvin Lee. The ending credits song is Waltz for Zachariah on the album Show Late by Blue Dot Sessions. You can reach us at theopportunist at castmedia.com.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.